Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News Magazine, coming at you with another tech podcast. And this episode is sponsored by Giordana. The Giordana Sagittarius logo has been a staple of the Pro Peloton for decades, made in Italy for cyclists by cyclists since 1979. Thanks to a long history of partnerships with the top teams in the sport, they have the knowledge to deliver clothing the pros rely on. Today, it's not just the Mitchelton Scott and Astana Pro teams that benefit. Giordana's goal is to empower every rider to reach new heights. That's the drive that constantly pushes them to create and innovate. Everything Giordana makes is designed to enhance cycling performance and enjoyment, whether you're a professional racer or a weekend warrior. Check them out. Head over to GiordanaCycling.com to see what's new. For a limited time, you can get 25% off your purchase when you use the code PODCAST. All right, folks, thank you for joining us on the Tech Pod today. I have, as always, a guest joining me via the uh, the magnificent and miraculous world of Skype. Uh, today I am joined by Bern Browdy, who's a freelance writer. Bern, how are you? Doing great. How are you, Dan? I'm, I'm lovely, sitting here in my basement because uh, it's snowing like mad out here in Colorado uh, in mid-April, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but uh, Bern, you uh, you recently wrote a piece for us uh, for Velo News uh, that will appear in our our next issue, our June issue, um, and it's it's kind of a, a historical uh, retrospective uh, of sorts, but uh, has has some other information in there about uh, the evolution of of women specific gear in cycling, um, which just in the last I would say five years has just changed dramatically from uh, a plethora of women-specific brands and gear. Uh, and then, then we've seen those those things sort of winnow down uh, and out of the bike industry in favor of just uh, more creative sizing and, and technologies that are designed for women. And, and you dove deep into that topic um, recently for an article for us. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit today about some of the things you discovered while you were uh, working on this article, because you were working on it for quite a while, and you talked to a lot of interesting folks. And so I wanted to get the idea, the, get to the, the heart of the concept of what is women's specific design? Is it still relevant? Um, and, and how has it changed? So I guess the first question is, where where did you find out uh, the idea of women's specific gear came from? How did it start? Um, women's specific gear started really when women started riding bikes. And actually, you could trace that all the way back to the Victorian era. I'm not sure that that's totally relevant for us today. But billowing skirts were not the best for riding bicycles, especially penny farthings. Mm. Um, so even back, you know, in the 1700s, there's records of kind of, uh, these pant type of suit things that would go under women's skirts because women were actually dying when their skirts got tangled up in their spokes and the drive trains. So that might be the original women's specific cycling gear. In my story, I really focused on um, mainstream women's cycling gear coming into the mainstream, which was probably around the 1980s. And uh, it came from a need. You know, women didn't have the tools they needed the, to, to be able to perform on a bike. So uh, 
kits fit poorly, saddles pressed uncomfortably, uh, and and bikes just many of them were too big. The average woman I found out is five four, whereas the average man is around five nine. And bicycles just weren't made small enough for women to be able to actually straddle a top tube and get on a bike. Mm-hmm. And so when you say that women were dying uh, with their long puffy skirts uh, getting caught in the bike. Do you literally, you literally mean dying? Like, literally, yeah. literally dying. Yeah. And there were several accounts of that that I read. Again, I don't, I'm not an expert in, in that area, in that era of mm-hmm. women's cycling gear. Um, and most of the accounts I read kind of said, you know, the women deserved it. They shouldn't have been out biking. They should have been home taking care of the kids. Taking care of the kids. Um, that is uh, alarming. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised by it. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? The material can end up anywhere in, in your spokes and your chain rings and that causes you to lose control. So, you know, really it's a safety issue, but man, <laughs> the Victorian era. And then we, we have to fast forward all the way to 1980 before we, <laughs> we start seeing real, uh, modern development. Also probably in the Victorian era, there weren't a lot of helmets. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, yeah. Across the board. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what, what did early women's gear look like? I mean, were, were those early, uh, and I guess we should, we should cap that, right? Like, so yeah, we can go all the way back to Victoria, but let's, for the sake of this podcast, let's talk about from, you know, the, you, you mentioned the 1980s and onward, let's kind of start there. Um, what, what did early gear for women look like and, and did the designers get stuff right? I mean, were there some, some, you know, successful products? I mean, cause we talk about, women's specific design in terms of this, this, uh, evolution where a lot of early on stuff just didn't work. Um, but was there stuff that they did get right? I think we almost need to divide it into bikes and clothing. And the answer to both of those is sometimes. So Georgina Terry, who founded Terry Bicycles was, as far as I could tell, the first person to build a woman's specific bike. And, um, you know, she was hand making those bikes. So they were really kind of custom bikes, but she started making bikes because she saw, well, she's five, two, and she couldn't fit on a bike. She loves to ride. Then her friends saw that she made herself a bike that fit and they wanted to try bikes. And then she took some bikes to a bike show and, you know, ended up basically selling all the bikes she brought before she even got her booth set up. So there was clearly a need. Um, it's hard to, say, yeah, Georgina Terry got it right. Again, she was making custom bikes for women who were 5'2 to 6'1". Early specialized uh, seemed to be one of the earliest to really wholeheartedly get on the mass-produced women's bike bandwagon, and they dove in completely. Um, at one point they had an, a women's bike equivalent for every men's bike in their line, which is a pretty huge commitment because specialized makes a lot of bike models and, um, and pretty much everyone was working from 1950s era data from the Wright Patton air force base that said women had shorter torsos and longer legs. And, um, quite frankly, it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So I was actually at launches for a bunch of the early road and mountain bikes with Specialized. And um, I remember one trip in particular, it was basically 
the trip of a lifetime. It was um, to the Chilcotin Mountains in British Columbia. And we boarded float planes outside of Whistler and flew with our bikes to this remote lake, landed on the lake, unloaded our bikes, camped out, rode just incredible remote terrain. It was unbelievable. And I spent a bunch of the time just hating the bike I was on so bad. I think I went OTB two or three times on technical sections. Um, I felt like I was riding a cruiser bike. I was sitting so upright. I just couldn't get my weight in the right place. Hmm. So, so it was sort of uh, good intentions, but maybe the execution wasn't uh, great, largely because the data was not there yet? On bicycles, correct. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure where the idea came from, but bike companies believe that women wanted and needed their own specific bicycles um, and that that was how they were going to best serve the women's market. I think companies were spending a lot of time trying to figure out what women want. Like, it's the eternal question. What do women want? <laughs> and uh, and it, it turns out that on the bike front, you know, women didn't necessarily want or need women's bikes. Yeah. Now, on the apparel front, totally different story. Men's apparel just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So, but also women care about how we look more than I think maybe men care about. I don't know if if that's a fair generalization. Let's just leave it at women care how we look. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, bike companies spent a lot of time trying to make bike clothing, but it was trying to almost like be sexy, which isn't, isn't really... Um, what you need in bike clothes. So shirts were, shirts were cut too short. Chamois were really low cut in the front. Um, you know, and it was, it was the eighties and nineties and two thousands fabrics weren't nearly as nice as they are today. Um, yeah. So the boat was missed on many fronts, Mm -hmm. but luckily folks kept at it, um, and listened to the feedback they were getting. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of the era we're talking about when you went on this uh, this trip uh, for the bike, because it, it, like you said, it, it seems like there's two very divergent paths here. One is bike design, and one is clothing design. So let's let's hone in on each of those at one at the throughout the course of the podcast. But let's start with bikes. Um, what era are we talking about here when when you were on that trip and and these these first um, women specific models were coming out and really kind of missing the mark. So that was probably around like 2012. So that wasn't even really er- the earliest bikes. Um, I can't remember what year. I'd say early 2000s. Um, I was at bike launches for different road bikes, women-specific road bikes, mountain bikes, etc. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just love to ride. I, I don't care if it's road or mountain or whatever. I just love to be on my bike. And I consistently found myself on women's bikes being frustrated and being, I was being told like, no, women need these bikes. And I was saying, cool, but I'm a woman and I would way rather be on the men's bike, which in most cases had a higher spec, mm-hmm. was using a nicer material, like it was just a more highly engineered and highly tuned product and fit me better. Yeah. Um, so a lot of 
early bikes, I myself, I found myself trying to figure out who are these for? Like, is it for some tiny person? Would they really benefit from this bike? Yeah. So what you're talking about is uh, nuance. We, we, we kind of missed the nuance boat when it came to designing uh, bikes for women or around women. Um, and then the idea that, you know, we're not really talking about specifically women. It's, it's really just a, a, a rider experience. You know, the idea that for some reason the notion that women didn't want higher-end group sets. I mean, where did that even come from, right? Um, and still, we, we do see that to an extent today. I mean, we, it, I think it's getting better where we do see some of those women's designs just in recent years. For companies that did have women's designs, a lot of them have phased them out. But in recent years, we finally did see women-specific bikes come with higher-end group sets. Uh, but it was, it's interesting that that was even a thing. Um, was there the reason, the so. reason was because I think it was financial and, uh, it was the size of the market. And so bike companies had this idea, well, we really want to provide, um, you know, the best gear that we can for women, but well, how many women are going to drop eight grand on a bike? Mm-hmm. And Part of the problem was that the bike companies were creating the market as they were also making the product for the market. So it's true for, you know, maybe in those early days, um, they didn't have the numbers, but then they're kind of stuck, right? Do you, do you make the product and they will come or do you just tell people they need something less and it's good enough, or maybe they should ride a men's bike and then it's very confusing messaging. So, um, again, I, I would go to these launches when, and I didn't just go to women's launches. I went to launches for all kinds of product and I would usually be the only female journalist in the bike space in the room. And I would always be the one saying, so how come that doesn't come in full carbon for women or how come, Women get, um, you know, Shimano 105, but there's no Dura Ace, and they kind of hem and haw and say, "Oh, well, maybe we'll do it next year," or you know, uh, the market's not big enough. And then, you know, if you're saying you want to get women into a sport at the same level as men, that like the argument gets very complicated there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've been, uh, you know, I started working in shops, bike shops around 1998, 1999. And I specifically remember then the idea of a women's bike was just some sort of cruiser type thing or a sloping down tube. Uh, it wasn't a performance machine. And then, you know, as I started working in shops throughout the early 2000s, then we started seeing uh, bikes, you know, demarcated with WSD, women's specific design or you know, something similar to that. And they look basically like smaller men's bikes with uh, crappier components and smaller saddles and things like that. Um, and I guess what uh, what I would like to hear from you, Bern, is, you know, in your, in your discussions with all of the folks that were involved in some of these uh, iterations of women's design, um, you know, you, you talked a little bit there about um, sort of creating the segment as you go. Um, in order to do that, you have to appeal to women. Um, and so brands will undertake marketing uh, efforts to do so. What did some of that marketing look like, and was it a hit or a miss? Uh, a lot of the marketing that I saw in those early years was girlfriends out riding and chatting on super upright bikes. Um, there wasn't, you know, there was this idea that 
producing aspirational marketing campaigns would be threatening or wouldn't feel welcoming to women. And to me, that was a huge miss. I didn't see people riding in the way that I hoped to be able to ride someday or even in the way that I was riding. Um, and it felt very condescending. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in the early days and what I heard from from some folks who worked at comp- at Specialized Trek and other big manufacturers during those days is that that was easy messaging and they were trying to kind of find a simple way forward. And then unfortunately what they realized that that wasn't the right messaging. So, you know, and that's, that's continues to be an issue for the women's market. I feel like now women are kind of confused. If you're still new, if you're new to the sport, you know, you've heard for all these years, you need a women's bike, but now the women's bikes are going away. So what do you need? Right. Yeah. And, and I think regarding the marketing, you know, and we don't want to single out any brand. I think there was a lot of missteps across the board in that uh, regard. Um, Bern, I don't know if you've noticed, you know this about me, but um, I'm a dude. And so, <laughs> and uh, I've been in the bike industry for a long time. And so I've been in the room uh, when, you know, some of these discussions happen, you know, about how do we get women into the sport? How do we appeal to women? How do we, you know, draw them in and what products should we be making for them? And the funny thing that's always struck me about it is that it's a bunch of dudes in a room talking about how to talk to women without asking women. Um, and guess what? That's still happening. Yeah, how like about that? <laughs> in most, I can't think of uh, maybe Live, but b- besides Live, which is a women-specific company, I I know of few, if any, companies where a woman has a has a higher role in the company than product manager. Sure, and that and that's a problem. Sure, and and I think you know. When you go back to it, uh, you mentioned earlier sort of the chicken or the egg of, you know, creating a segment uh, or appealing to the small segments that's there and sort of making those financial calculations. Um, it's not an easy play. And and I think there's, you know, I think that's probably part of the catalyst for why there were so many screw ups uh, early on. But I mean, at this point, we, we know that the women's category is, is growing. We know that there's a, a population of women who are looking for good bikes that are not necessarily women-specific, but, you know, have those high-end packages, and they're still buying the men's version, which I think sparked a change very recently. Um, so let's talk about that. Uh, and, and I do want to get back to the notion of, you know, aside from Liv, uh, having a, a female or a woman up high up in the company, higher than, you know, product manager. But before we get to that, um, I want to talk about the catalysts for the change uh, in women's gear. And it's it, and again, we're talking bikes more specifically than women or than clothing, because clothing is sort of its own thing. But um, I would say within the last two to three years, uh, we've seen sort of an industry backlash against women's specific design and a lot of brands going back to just saying, okay, we make one type of bike and it's tailored for the right, for different types of riders rather than this is for a woman and this is for a man. Um, what, what happened? How did that happen? What was the catalyst there? Uh, the change started with data. So, um, fit bicycle fit, we know is, is something super important and, 
and many manufacturers or several manufacturers came up with their own fit systems and they went out and they equipped their dealers with these fit systems. And then they started to gather data back from those dealers as the dealers fit their customers. And the data showed a disturbing trend for manufacturers, which is that the women's bikes they were making did not actually fit women at all. So that was the original impetus. Then at somewhere along, somewhere along the way, they actually started listening to women who kept telling manufacturers, we don't need women's bikes. We want the men's bikes. Teams, uh, their entire teams of women that were asking even the, their women's team, if they could please ride the, the women or excuse me, the men's bikes. And that was, that happened with the specialized Lululemon team. And that was again, sometime in the two thousands, you know, this, this team, um, which was really trying to put women on the map for racing. They wanted to ride the men's bikes. Mm -hmm. So you're saying again, I'm a, I'm a dude. Uh, (laughs) I just want to reiterate that. Um, you're telling me that we should be listening to women. Yeah. All right. That's that's crazy burn. (laughs) Well, another thing that's super interesting to me even today is that not only does it cost a lot of money for a brand to make a specific bike with a specific geometry for women, but as a result, those bikes often cost more. I recently looked at a very high-end women's mountain bike um, compared to a very comparable men's bike, same exact specs, same components, et cetera. And there was a $2,000 difference between the women's and the men's. The women's bike cost two grand more for the same exact thing. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that we, we got to, we have to touch on this, uh, you know, the fact that what changed the whole perspective was simply data. Uh, really, it's, it's funny that we should think of that as unusual, but when you're operating on old data, you, you operate on old, uh, paradigms, you make the wrong decision. Um, and, and I think the fact that we waited so long to actually, uh, have that kind of data on women riders, whereas we, you know, we have an aerodynamic study every, what, a couple hours, right? <laughs> you know, everybody's right, got some, yeah. some new data on, on how to shave, you know, three quarters of a watt. Um, uh, but, but we waited so long on that, uh, that data to, um, become a, a driving factor behind the designs. And I, I wonder, Byrne, is that, uh, a, is that a matter of, uh, dollars and cents for these brands? I mean, was it, is it, is it like you said, I mean, you, they had to make these other molds and these other designs specific to women's bikes, which probably didn't sell as well as the men's version did. And so they were spending all this money. So the prices were higher and, you know, there's all these, these calculations. I mean, is that the, the driving factor here? Sadly enough that, you know, it was just really, it came down to dollars and cents that, Hey, we, we finally need to do a study to figure out if this is even worth it. I feel like, uh, yes, it's, dollars and cents, but also women who ride at a high level typically or often prefer to ride men's bikes. Also, um, in the mountain biking world, suspension has gotten infinitely more adjustable than it was even five years ago and infinitely more tunable. So it works better for, you can, you can achieve the right, you can achieve the right settings for smaller, lighter riders. 
And by making a broader range of sizes in bikes, it not only gets women what they want, but it also benefits men and boys too, who maybe previously weren't interested in buying a bike that had daisies on the top tube any more than, you know, someone like me was interested in riding a bike with daisies on the top tube. Um, everyone can ride the same bike and, and for women who have smaller hands or people who have smaller hands or people who have, you know, whatever your pelvis shape is that, that creates, you know, the position of your sits bones, basically everyone can have a bike that they can tweak to fit them best. Yeah. 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 And I think the aesthetic point there about, you know, shrinking and pinking, which, you know, which is a big uh, thing for a long time, we just make it smaller and we make it in quote unquote women's colors. And, and so many women balked at that because it was always, like you said, flowers and pink and, you know, all these colors. It's like, well, you know, why can't we just have a normal bike? You know, <laughs> why do we? Exactly. And, and honestly, you know, it's funny because there, to me, when we see, you know, we see some of the, the women's colors or we, we were seeing, I was like, man, I'd ride that, you know, like I'd ride a pink bike. I mean, to me, it was like gender roles are, are less, they don't matter as much. I think in bike design, I don't understand why the aesthetic was, was so polarized. Um, it was almost as though nobody had spoken to women about what they wanted their bikes to look like. Uh, yeah. So, you know, again, a, a big problem and and I, I will say this, though, uh, in terms of aesthetics, just in the last couple of years, some of the women's uh, bike models and even clothing patterns that have come out look better than a lot of the men's stuff. I mean, I, I think there has been a trend. I wouldn't say reversal, but there has been improvement. Um, but again, I'm a dude. So <laughs> let's let's put this in perspective. I mean, have you seen progress? What does it look like now? I I think so. Um, for sure. I mean, you're seeing a lot more crossover. It's, you know, it's kind of not the same thing. Um, when a brand makes a, a woman's bike in pink as when a brand makes a men's bike in pink yeah. or, you know, when you see dudes wearing pink kits and it's like, Oh, that's cool. Whereas when it's the only choice for women, it's not that cool. Right. So, um, I don't know. I always ride men's bikes. I'm super appreciative to have the option of a woman's saddle, though I don't always need it. Um, I love having choices. And I think that's what it comes down to. You know, everyone has different preferences. So you may think a pink bike is cool and I may think a pink bike isn't cool. Yeah, so yeah. you you can go ride your pink bike and I can get one that's a different color. Yeah, for sure. Um, you also mentioned that Live Cycling is still, it's kind of one of the last uh, uh, companies doing women-specific bikes. Uh, everybody else has sort of moved back to just, you know, having various sizes to accommodate different body types. Um, so there are still women-specific designs out there, both in, in bikes, clothing, accessories, all that stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about some notable women-specific designs you can say honestly do work well for women, and it makes sense that they are women-specific? Um. Some of Liv's highest end bikes can make sense for women who are small. One thing, I think actually the difference is really even bigger in mountain bikes than road bikes. When suspension is tuned for a rider who is between 100 and 140 pounds versus it being tuned for a rider who is between maybe 140 pounds and 180 pounds, it just feels different. But so... So I think that, yes, for smaller women, 
some women-specific bikes make sense. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of women-specific bikes being made actually across companies at the very entry level. And I don't, I have mixed feelings about that. I don't, I, you know, if, if a woman's bike will get someone into the sport and that's the only way it's going to happen. Um, okay. But I don't, I don't understand why we need women's bikes in that category either. Um, there are women's brands like Juliana, which has the exact same bikes as Santa Cruz. And the big difference there is they're just, they're just creating community around women. And that's one of the things Liv is doing too. And I, to me, that's Liv's biggest win. They are aggressively trying to equalize the playing fields between men and women. Um, they're partnered recently with EWS. So, you know, so there's a women in, a presence of women at EWS. Women have previously been kind of invisible there. Yeah. But still, you know, I would love to see Liv figure out a way to partner with the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. And and see women in in that race yeah. or an equivalent. For for those listeners who are strict roadies, EWS is the Enduro World Series. Uh, it's on the dirt side, so you it's it, you know uh, you guys should check it out just to scare you a little bit. It's always fun to watch those races. Um, so I guess that brings us to accessories and clothing. And and I think when I asked the question about uh, women specific designs that that work. Um, I would say one of the most popular saddles of last year was the the power uh, mimic saddle from Specialized, which was designed for women. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the reviews I read from women it was it was it was very well received. Um, and then men started riding it, and they said, "Oh, this works for me too." Um, so again, I think it was one of the first times that we saw a design come specifically for women that uh, had that that sort of um, technological pursuit and we want to make a high performance saddle that's specific to women. Um, have you read that? Have you ridden that saddle? I have, and it's great. And, um, this is actually something that happened. I think it was in the early nineties with the Terry liberator. Yeah. So Terry made the first women's saddle, women specific saddle. It had a big cutout. A doctor in Boston wrote a story about how riding too much can cause impotence in men. And Terry, Terry's sales of that saddle skyrocketed and it was almost all to men and then they made a men's version. So there's been a whole bunch of instances over the history of cycling gear where there's been an innovation made for women cyclists and then men find that they like it too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about clothing. Uh, That seems to be one of the areas where you feel like obviously it makes sense to design clothing for women. Uh, And early on uh, again, that, that did not happen. Uh, and, and that was a detriment to, to women who wanted to ride at a, a, even at a performance level or even at a casual level, because there just wasn't anything made for them. Uh, when did that change and, and what, what was the catalyst for that? It was really an evolution. Um, I mean, clothing has evolved over time. I'd say the biggest game changer for me personally and for a lot of women I know who ride were bibs that let you pee. Mm. So forever, so awkward. You go out on a ride with your dude and or women friends and you have to pee. So you have to stop. You have to get off your bike, take your jacket off if you have one, take your jersey off, 
you know, basically strip down to your bra and then drop trow to be able to take a leak. And, you know, for dudes, you just kind of pull the bibs down in the front. Mm -hmm. So um, when Velaccio finally a few years ago came out with a bib that you could just unzip and then finally one that you could just pull down to pee, to me, that was a huge game changer. And companies had been trying to do it for a while. Um, I, for me, the Velaccio one was the the best design. Other designs still required some gymnastics to get straps <laughs> over your head and get things magnetically attached <laughs> in weird places. Yeah. I struggle enough with two straps. I, I would never be able to get in and out of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, again, women's specific design mattered in clothing a lot more. And I think, are we at a point now where there, the brands are catching on to that? I mean, is it, is, are the availability of women's specific clothing now at a point where, you know, I'm an intermediate rider and I want to get into, you know, my first race. Um, are kits available for both of those purposes? Are they are they still too broad? What do you think of the availability? I think there's a lot of availability of different kinds of products. So you're seeing even more casual apparel that has pockets in the back and that has UPF 50, so it's sun protective. Um, companies are diversifying their fits so it used to be that everything was super duper tight and now there's different cuts available so maybe if you're not somebody who wants you know an incredibly body hugging lycra jersey you can get something that has a little bit more flow to it or that's a little more comfortable um big more size range you know it used to be that there was only kind of small medium large and even large was maybe more of a medium so Um, so I feel like there's really a focus on how to be more inclusive and how to bring more women into the sport. And one of the ways is having good clothing for cycling. For sure. So we only got a a couple minutes left here. Um, I guess my, my last question to you is, is, is women specific dead or is it about to be dead? Uh, obviously not in terms of clothing because it seems necessary, but in terms of bike design and the general philosophy around it? Um, I don't think women's gear is dead. Um, There's still women's bike brands and I'm not, I think that those bike brands can serve a certain segment of women because there's, there is a certain segment of women that wants to ride a women's specific bike and that they feel an identity with that and it fits them. Mm -hmm. Um, Brands are, brands are continuing to build community around women riders. And again, brands like Liv, brands like Juliana, they're maintaining that woman-specific identity. Um, but a lot of it is about continuing to build community and continuing to figure out how to keep women involved and grow the sport. And around gear, women's apparel is really necessary. So, um, so that's just going to keep getting better. I think, um, yeah, I I don't think women's gear is dead. I think there's going to be a trend towards customization, a trend toward everybody being able to get the bike that they want that feels the most comfortable to them. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really important notion, uh, that you brought up is that, you know, man, the, you know, regardless of whether the bikes are different or the same as the men's, you know, in terms of technology and components, 
what a lot of these brands are now starting to do right is building that community. Uh, and that's, I think that's largely what will uh, provide the, the, the forward momentum for women's design. Uh, so I think, you know, I think they're getting some things right and they're, you know, there's still a long way to go, but uh, we're now seeing uh, sort of that push for, for more, for more equity there. And, and we're even seeing it, like you said, I mean, there are more women involved in the industry. They're, you know, they're getting into higher positions. Maybe, you know, like you said, I think we could definitely stand to see more leadership, uh, you know, women in leadership positions. Um, but, you know, we are seeing, I mean, this is just me speaking for me being in the industry as long as I have and working with a lot of dudes over the years. I'm suddenly seeing a lot more women and that's great. I mean, it's just, to me, it makes the, the community feel even more welcoming, even for me. I mean, I don't, I've never really been one who's, you know, fit in with that, the bro culture. And so I think it's, it's for me even made it a more welcoming place. Uh, so what, what else, I mean, before we sign off here, is there anything, any questions I didn't ask you that you think are relevant to the topic and, you know, anything that you think the audience needs to know about women's specific gear and where it's going and where it's been? I think brands are doing a great job listening to consumers Oops. I think brands are doing a great job listening to consumers. Um, and I think uh, gear will continue to evolve. One thing that really struck me is that none of the cycling company brands have put time and effort into a sports bra. And if you just stand a woman and a man next to each other, like that's one of the things that you notice that it's different. Um, and in fact, Brad Sheehan from Velocio went so far as to, to call sports bras radioactive uh, when it came to design um, any of the companies that I spoke with kind of just were like, Whoa, we don't want to touch that one. We're afraid. (laughs) We don't, we don't know if we have the resources to commit. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see some attention there in the cycling space. Cause that's something that's, you know, a sports bra for cycling is very different than a sports bra for running. And I'd love to see some companies put some effort there. Sure. Uh, I do. I did just have one. I had a sports bra come across my desk recently, which is strange because I don't. I don't wear them. Uh, <laughs> but but thank you. Um, and I think it, I, I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was Pactimo. Uh, it was either Pactimo or Pearl. Um, but it is a cycling specific uh, sports bra. So hey, more progress, right? Um, that's there, there are cycling specific sports bras, but the design of most of those hasn't changed in 20 to 30 years. So, Ah, so companies make them, but it's basically an afterthought. They're not treating it as a piece of gear. And honestly, for a woman, it's kind of like a base layer or bibs. Like it's, it's layering there with everything else. And if you're, if your sports bra just ends up being like a, a, wet blob against your body it feels pretty terrible and it and it impacts how you're riding sure sure burn thank you uh for coming on the tech podcast today i appreciate it it's been uh, excellent to hear uh, the, your perspective on this and and guys please do go out and get our june issue to read uh burn's article on on this topic it's it's uh, pretty well done uh burn thanks again Thanks, Dan. Uh, And if you have questions about this uh, episode of the VeloNews Tech Podcast or any of the podcasts in the VeloNews atmosphere, please do feel free to tweet at me, at BrownTieDan. You can follow me on Instagram at that same handle. Or you can email me, dcavallari at velonews.com. 
Uh, and if you have recommendations for topics you'd like me to cover on the Tech Podcast, I would absolutely love to hear them. Thank you very much for joining us this week, and we will catch you next time. 